K-A-L-W. I'm able to carry quite a bit of weight, at least a 40-gallon of aluminum cans. Collecting recyclables is tough work, and for those depending on its income, it becomes a matter of survival. There was times that I had to make a choice on whether I needed to do laundry more or if I wanted to eat more. A new story from our series, At Work. Then, Oakland poet James Cagney gets deeply personal and vulnerable in his latest book. I often feel like a uh, like a weirdo, like a, like a person truly dropped here from another planet. Plus, readings from more East Bay authors. We get personal today with a whole lot of poetry. I'm Sunni Khalid in for Hana Baba, and this is Cross Currents. Today, we start with a new story from our series, At Work, where we explore the ways people make a living and hear their stories. I have a lot of pride in my work. How do you do it? Sprays, masks, gloves. I'm with the Swamp Team. Hi, my friends, and how are you? It's nice now with technology. Pandora's box has been opened. It's a beautiful way to make your living, but it's more work than I ever imagined. Nationally, recycling is a multi-billion dollar industry. Here in San Francisco, it yields millions of dollars in revenue annually. KALW's Priscilla Na Ankra wanted to know what it's like for some of the people behind those numbers, those who rummage through bins, dumpsters, sorting cans, bottles, and glass out of things we discard. Priscilla brings us the story of one such worker. It is November and freezing by California standards, and I am at Cash for Cans on the corner of Bancroft and 44th Street in Oakland. It is a recycling redemption center that pays people for bottles, cans, and glass. It looks like a hybrid between a garage, market, and assembly line. There is a frenzy of sorting plastics, glass, and aluminum into large gray trash bins. The smiling face of a psychedelic green and red painting juxtaposes against the stoic faces of the customers who are long accustomed to waiting. And here I am, trying to satisfy my curiosity about the lives of people who uphold this vital but invisible labor. Pretty soon, someone comes forth who can answer my questions. Summer. My name is Summer Turner. I am what I consider myself to be an avid recycler. Now I'm 5'11", and Summer's taller than me. She glows. For a moment, her smile drives away the cold. As the 2 p.m. closing time nears, the lines of people sorting through cans, bottles, and plastics become more frenzied. I feel intrusive as I ask Summer if I could learn more about her work. Graciously, she agrees to meet me the following week to walk me through a day in her work life. We meet at Thrasher Park in San Leandro, and she tells me about her routine. Recycling, as it turns out, is summer salvation. A lot of work, but I mean, it benefits me. It keeps me out of trouble. It keeps people from bothering me with nonsense. I'm able to work and think about life by my, you know, by myself and 
just get things done and you know part of this work is also preventing other people from bothering you and uh, so could you speak more about that yeah well it's like often I do it at night time mm -hmm. and when there's you know people hanging out or um, I don't know men that normally would harass women or something they kind of bypass me because I'm just the homeless lady collecting recycles so I'm not much of an interest to them so I'm not really bothered. Summer tells me that prior to this she was in the medical industry and because of a back injury she had to leave early. I worked with the elderly for mm -hmm. several years and it was kind of stressful. It doesn't bother her back as much but recycling is grueling too and it takes up much of her waking life. Usually large apartment complexes is easier because mm -hmm. um, they have the collected bins uh, for multiple residents. Mm -hmm. And I kind of just go through all of the bags and pull out all of the plastic and all of the aluminum that are recyclable material and collect them in a bag. And when it's almost too much for me to carry on my own, I take it into the recycle center. Wow. That sounds like very strenuous work for a woman to do, um, for anybody to do. Yes, I have, I guess, become quite strong <laughs> in the last so. few years. Yeah. <laughs> I'm able to carry um, a, quite a bit of weight, 255 gallons. Wow of smashed plastic and at least a 40 gallon of aluminum cans by myself wow. and including all of my personal <laughs> items. Wow, wow. And you do this by yourself, you said? Yes, I do. Business owners and nonprofits can apply to the state to operate recycling centers. Their only requirement is to pay collectors the California Redemption Value, or CRV, Currently, that's five to 10 cents per item, a cost customers pay whenever they buy soda or bottled water. Operators have the discretion to add extra money or the scrap value to redeemed recyclables. And for people like Summer, this can mean the difference between a meal and a good place to rest or sleeping on the street. Survival depends on it. Summer remembers one experience with a Stockton recycling operator. I went from my usual $45, $46 a day to $22 or $23 a day. Wow. And I mean, just imagine they're doing that to 200 people yeah. every day, you know? Yeah. So how, so how did that affect your life? Uh, greatly. There was times that I had to make a choice on whether I needed to do laundry more or if I wanted to eat more, <laughs> um, if I was able to give my kids uh, allowance or a pocket change or what have you mm -hmm. um, if I was able to pay for the bus <laughs> yeah. or transportation it it made a, a huge impact on my life because the recycling is my main source of income and yeah it's how I survive and it really made a huge impact on my life despite summer's tireless labor she still describes herself as just the homeless lady. But after spending some time with her, I see this work as worthy of our respect and attention. We part ways at sunset and summer is jovial as she hugs me goodbye. 
I ask her to share her last thoughts and what she would want people to know about her work. They may not necessarily be looking for garbage or looking for food or just digging in the trash. They're yeah. probably more than likely looking for recyclable items, aluminum cans, glass bottles, yeah. plastic bottles. You know, if you're close enough to get them, offer them if you're able to because there are some people that collect at home and they do use it for an extra source of income. Tonight, she will return to one of the abandoned BART bunkers where she and her love had made a home. As she fades into the busyness of the evening, I think of William Warren Kooning's poem, No Images. If only she could see, perhaps in another time, in another place, just how valuable she is. She does not know her beauty. She thinks her brown body has no glory. If she could dance naked under the palm trees and see her image in the river, she would know. But there are no palm trees on the street, and dishwater gives back no images. In Oakland, I'm Priscilla Na Ankra for Cross Currents. Priscilla is a current fellow in our Audio Academy, and training is at the heart of the KALW newsroom. And applications actually just opened for our summer journalism program. It's a three and a half long intensive that's tuition free. If you want to learn how to tell sound rich audio features, find all the details online at KALW.org slash summer. You're listening to Cross Currents from KALW News. I'm Sunni Khalid. Next, we're going to hear a poem that recognizes the struggle and contributions of unhoused mothers. It's another segment from our Bay Poet series. Tiny Gray Garcia reads her poem titled, This Poem is in Honor of Homeless Mothers. This poem is in honor of homeless mothers and poor mothers, low-wage mothers and no-wage mothers, welfare mothers and three-job working mothers, migrante mothers and incarcerated mothers. In other words, this poem is in honor of DHS with, CPS with, and most of all, system messed with mothers. This poem is in honor of all us poor women and men. And yes, I said men, because don't sing me that song about gender again, who fight and struggle and steal and beg in every crevice and corner to keep our babies in a bed, who dress and feed with tired hands, who answer cries over and over again, who deserve to be coddled and loved, fed and protected instead of criminalized, marginalized, and never respected who can barely make it, but always do, and still raise all the world's people like me and you and you. Can I get a witness who can barely make it, but sometimes do, and still raise all the world's people 
like me and you and you. That was East Oakland poet Tiny Gray Garcia. You can find more readings on our website at kalw.org slash baypoets. This is Cross Currents. I'm Suni Khalid. Today we're highlighting the works of a few East Bay authors, and unfortunately, one Oakland publisher that provides a platform to some of these artists, Nomadic Press, is shutting down at the end of the month. The 12-year-old nonprofit has given writers from marginalized communities a space to express themselves and be seen. Oakland poet James Cagney's latest award-winning collection, Martian, The Saint of Loneliness, was published there. The book is packed with emotional pieces about being a black man in a world that doesn't always treat him like he belongs here. KALW's Janae Darden spoke with the East Bay poet. In the beginning of the book, you know, the book starts off with pieces on police brutality and social injustices against Black folks and people of color. Can you read a piece? Found in America, Bad Apples. American history is the story of demonic possession, servile killers of sinister power, mass murderers divinely blessed and guided to manifest their own destiny, which involved enslaving and killing millions. Satan wears the other's face. Others have always been expendable since they stand in the way of the American God's imperial march to war. Wars sponsored and red carpeted. Wars waged over fuel and false flag operations. Most Americans write off unprecedented state terrorism as a series of aberrations carried out by bad apples. Bad apples torching cities of civilians to death with cluster bombs of napalm. Americans charbroil cities under infrared ashes and uranium tar, then go to lunch, possessed by the delusion of our own God-blessed goodness. We grew up under the bomb, under orders. Whose orders? Then discriminate against radiated ethnic children, leaving them to smolder for decades and die while we giggle hide under desks then wax nostalgic about black rain over mimosa brunch. For Americans, innocence is a secular faith. Brain-rattling games, our national religion. What are we really? Hyenas with polished masks, conical incisors and fangs, alternating red, white, blue. Red is blood, blood on every street corner. Blood tides on the shoreline, Blood in our pockets, blood on the tracks, blood on a former mother's dress, blood on her face. This piece that you just read, I'm thinking about 
the theme of Martian and the, the title of your book, Martian, The Saint of Loneliness. You can't quite call this country home. You may not call this planet home because of the way it rejects you. Can you talk about that? I don't know if I'm kind of going along the right lines as far as the way I'm analyzing. You're absolutely right. And I should say it was never intentional for me to name that book Martian or for that to ultimately end up being the theme to all of these pieces. That title and identity happened last after everything was done. But it felt right because both on a personal level, because I myself often feel separated, uh, isolated. Perhaps I'm guilty of making choices that have created my life or has defined my life around that sort of isolation. But I often feel like a uh, like a weirdo, like a like a person truly dropped here from another planet. And the resonance of being of a specific race, a race that seems to be identified and judged upon seeing me without ever hearing my voice does make me, in some rooms, in some places, feel like I was dropped from a different planet. And I was also thinking about other Black artists like Sun Ra and Prince because of the way you're racialized as a Black man, but also to just your brilliance and your, your skills. Thank you. If I was conscious that I was in the process of writing this particular book, I would have turned more directly into writing more racially sensitive work, more poems that look directly and deeply into into that sort of sense of otherness. I noticed a theme or a few pieces in your book about having to grow up too fast and not having the privilege of boyhood that so many young Black men and Black boys don't have. And you wrote in the back of the book that by fifth grade, you had a full beard and you were paying adult bus fare. What's your thoughts about that as far as like Black men and having, you know, being able to be boys? I felt extremely uncomfortable when puberty hit and I started to become very hairy. And my discomfort was because all of the images that I was being shown as a young man, as a boy, as a, as a growing person, all of the images of men that were presented to me in magazines, in music videos, on television, were all guys that looked polished that looked as sleek and as hairless as sports cars. And certainly none of the friends that I had at that time in the fifth and sixth grade, nobody was sprouting in that way. And it made me feel very, very self-conscious because, you know, I'm as a child to scan the room that you're sitting in, classroom, uh, house full of relatives, and to not really see yourself reflect back to you as far as you can't identify someone who seems to be going through something similarly to yourself, who uh, is is also coming in with like a beard or something like that. It's sort of like, I felt like as a young boy, I was given like this gigantic egg that I somehow just had to hide, this part of myself that I didn't know how to present to the world. 
And what does a young person do with that sort of frustration of sort of feeling like you're an almost an alien within your own body? I don't know. It, it's there was like this huge private war going on within me that I, I could never really talk about. And and I guess that war was about what exactly is the man I am supposed to grow into? What exactly is that man supposed to be? How is that man supposed to occupy himself and occupy his space in the world? Even if that man is a Black man, even if that man looks and behaves differently from, from others, it's like, even if you are separated, even if you cannot be easily stirred into a particular bowl or a particular identity or a particular space, if there is no obvious box for you, you know, it's like, how do you find yourself? How do you define identity and manhood for yourself? So I was reading in the back of your book that when you read the poem, Martian, the first time you read it, you were very nervous. And so now you have this full collection of Martian, the saint of loneliness. How do you feel now? I feel good and I feel excited and I feel very curious because all of those poems, especially the poems in the back half for, you know, Vanishing Twin Syndrome or whatnot, are so incredibly personal to me. I don't know how any of that work will sit with you know, a stranger. And ultimately, the work that I'm trying to do as a poet is to create my best self on the page and offer that as a gift to strangers. And that is to say that a lot of my desire, a lot of whatever my projection is about the response to the book or whatever, is completely out of my hands. And I just kind of am sitting and, and hanging out and waiting to see what kind of response comes back to me, if anything. That was Oakland poet James Cagney speaking with KALW's Janae Darden. This interview was produced with the help of Porfirio Rangel. James's book, Martian, The Saint of Loneliness, is available from Nomadic Press. You can learn more at KALW.org slash crosscurrents. Listening to Cross Currents from KALW News. I'm Sunni Khalid. Up next, we hear a reading about plants, specifically cannabis and its many uses. It's an episode from KALW's literary podcast, New Arrivals, a pocket sized book tour with Bay Area authors. Oakland author Melanie Abrams and Berkeley author Larry Smith read from their book, The Joy of Cannabis. The Joy of Cannabis is a playful and deep dive into the many ways to enhance your life and promote self-care through the science and magic of cannabis. In our book, we dig into how cannabis can help expand the mind, move the body, unlock creativity, boost productivity, fortify meaningful connection, and spark wonder. Here's an excerpt from the book's introduction. 
What if there was a safe and increasingly legal substance that could make you happier, more productive, and more creative? There is. It's cannabis, a 2,000-year-old magical flower that's in the midst of a renaissance. In The Joy of Cannabis, we share 75 activities to help amplify your life. Here are a few of our favorites. Take a relaxing bath and make a custom bud bomb. Conquer a fear. We'll share the strain to do it with and the science as to why it works. Read. We'll tell you why high reading is happy reading and give you a few staff picks to get you rolling. Speaking of rolling, we'll teach you how to roll a joint and then how to blow those smoke rings that are always a crowd pleaser. And we'll answer all your burning questions like how to navigate your first trip to a dispensary. Why we use the word cannabis instead of marijuana. And how to build a snow bong. Yes, it's a thing. Cannabis has changed our lives. We want it to change yours. That was Melanie Abrams and Larry Smith reading from their new book, The Joy of Cannabis. It came out in January. New Arrivals is produced by Lisa Morehouse. Now, before we go, let's listen to some new music from a local band. is the Oakland band The Helltones. They will be playing in Richmond at the Baltic Kiss this Sunday. Cross Currents team includes Astrid Fidel, Kelby McIntosh, James Rollins, Gonady Joe Johnson, Victor Tents, Shireen Adel, Marissa Ortega Welch, and Ben Trevney. Our opening theme music is by the John Santos Quintet, as interpreted by Daoud Anthony. For Cross Currents, I'm Suni Khalid.